Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here with the reality check episode. That's right. Monday night served as a reality check for the New York Giants and really the fans and everyone that was watching them. 23-16 loss. A lot of things you saw in that game, kind of what we expected this season, which is why I'm calling it the reality check episode. We're going to go over a few things sort of confirmed and set us straight on on what the Giants are and, and what they have, right? We'll start with the fact that they were 2-0, right? And you felt you should feel good about it. They, were, they looked competent. They won some close games. It's something they hadn't been able to do in a while. Now, we're sitting on Monday night. There's this great atmosphere, the whiteout. Everyone's twirling the towels. Really, the most excited the fan base has been since at least that second start that Daniel Jones made when he, when he came home for that first game. Is that week uh, three of the 2019 season? Or you could go back to uh, the Monday night game against the Dallas Cowboys at the end of 2016. Like Those are some of the most recent quality atmospheres we've had. But now, that's what it was like on Monday night. Now, the Giants didn't play particularly well. Daniel Jones was under considerable pressure the whole game. I mean, crazy pressure. 24 pressures, according to ESPN stats and info. That's the most by a quarterback this season. The second most of any quarterback in the last two years. So it's hard to succeed under that kind of pressure, partly due to the Cowboys having a great defensive front. Michael Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, the Giants. Their deficiency in that offensive line is their pass protection. So they're 2-1. and one. They have a game upcoming at home, at home, against the Chicago Bears. Now, I wasn't of the belief that the Giants should, you know, like I heard somebody on the radio say, the Giants should win against the Cowboys. They absolutely should win this game. Like, I don't know how you can say that. If you did a draft of those two rosters, right, a draft, you put everybody in a pool, and you say, okay, we're going to draft these two rosters. Even without Dak Prescott there, because he would be the number one pick if healthy. He's not, obviously. Make Cooper Rush started. Played particularly, he actually played pretty well. He was let down by some of his receivers and playmakers. Their playmakers stink, too. But let's say we do a draft. I was thinking about it. I think if we do a draft of the Giants and Cowboys, you know, Michael Parsons and Zach Martin. Zach Martin's their guard. I mean, all pro every year. Hall of Famer. Michael Parsons is probably one. Zach Martin's probably two. Uh, then we're getting in the category of probably Trayvon Diggs is three, followed by Saquon Demarcus Lawrence. So the bottom line is four of the first five players I just mentioned there, and then maybe Leonard Williams, you could argue him maybe positional value more valuable than Saquon. But talking about four of the first five guys there. Our Cowboys, right? That's not including Tyron Smith, who's who's injured for the Cowboys. He's their left tackle. That's not including Dak Prescott, who obviously is a game changer there because when you have the best quarterback, it gives you the best chance. But so expect the Giants to say, oh, they definitely should have won that game. No, no, no. There's a reason why the spread was basically close to even. I think the Giants were one-point favorites. I, I don't know what it ended at, but they were one-point favorites most of the week. That accounts into the fact that they're at home. So they're, they were basically even. And we found out that Dallas overall still has the better team. And that's fine. We can still have a fun season here with the Giants. So we beat the Bears, sit at 3-1 and one after four weeks. Still have some relatively easy games coming up. Now, Jacksonville looks a little bit tougher. They're playing well. But you still have uh, Houston. Detroit's a little tougher. Like, these aren't guaranteed wins, but these are games the Giants can win, right? After they play that stretch of uh, Green Bay, Baltimore, it's Jacksonville, Seattle, uh, then what, Houston, Detroit, I think. So, I mean, those are four winnable games. I mean, splitting those is, let's say the Giants beat the Bears. They lose to Green Bay and Baltimore. Obviously, those are are stronger teams. It would be upset if they beat those teams. Sitting at three and three, split those other four that I just said. Five and five. Giants sitting at five and five on Thanksgiving, especially with an expanded playoffs, it, it could be a fun season. That's not terrible. So it was a reality check. This isn't going to be, you know, this isn't a, this is probably not going to be a magical year. They, this, this roster is deficient. I mean, the run defense isn't great. The defense overall showed if you play a decent team, uh, 
it's not great, especially without Leonard Williams. Uh, Thibodeau and Ojolari, hopefully they get healthier. That was their NFL debut. They were very quiet. Ojolari got off to a good start. Thibodeau tipped the pass. Not much else otherwise. Inside linebackers are a problem. CB2 is a problem. We've been talking about this forever, right? The offensive line of the Giants is a problem, especially in pass protection. 24 pressures. Evan Neal struggled badly. Not going to sound the alarm yet, but it wasn't pretty. Marcus Lawrence crushed him. We'll talk about that in a little bit with Jeff Schwartz. He'll get into details about what went wrong for Evan Neal. I think you'll find it interesting. But it wasn't just him. Mark Lewinsky struggling badly. Ben Bredesen had his struggles. John Feliciano. So that interior is a problem. Andrew Thomas at the left tackle spot, the least of their problems. So that's kind of where we stand. The reality check, right? The Giants' weapons. Okay. They're bad. Sterling Shepard is now out for the year. He tore his ACL. What a disaster play. Think about this for a second. So, Giants get the ball back. Cowboys screw up. Guy goes out of bounds on third down. Giants, so the Giants get the ball back with a little under two minutes left. I believe it was 147. No timeouts. Or actually, they even have one, right? No, no timeouts. That was the thing. Dallas should have stayed in bounds, run 40 seconds off the clock. So, they get the ball back with 147 left. Okay, maybe they can drive down the field. No timeouts. Plenty of time. Today's NFL. Plenty of time. Daniel Jones goes back to pass. Sterling Shepard is just jogging on the play on the other side. The ball's thrown to David Sills. He slips and falls. So he's not even on his feet. He's on the ground. On the other side, Sterling Shepard, who's not even really running a full route at the time, crumbles down in pain, tears his ACL. He's out for the year. And I know it's going around now. Turf, turf this, turf that. I mean, that had, to me... That specific play, and Brian Dable actually mentioned maybe, it, you know, there was a couple plays earlier, his knee kind of, it looked like he, he got a little buckled or I forget the, the term he used, but there was a, a couple plays before which maybe something happened. They just didn't realize it. But he's just jogging. This has nothing to do with the hard turf or the trying to cut on the turf or running on the turf. No, the, he was just jogging, flat out jogging, and his knee blew up. So now Sterling Shepard faces a long road back again. Feel for him, man. Talk about that in a, a little later on in the Jordan on the Beat segment. You feel for him because that has a good chance that that's the way his Giants career is now going to end. Because remember, Sterling Shepard had to restructure his contract, took a pay cut this offseason, came off the Achilles tear, was playing more than anyone on the team. Wow, my voice just went there. Was playing more than any wide receiver on the team. Off an Achilles injury. Maybe it was too much. Who knows? We're never going to know. So the weapons, that's a problem. Giants are crossing their fingers now, crossing their fingers in the worst way, saying, Wandell Robinson, get healthy. By the way, pick him up in fantasy now. This is the time. Like This is the opportunity. Wandell Robinson was going to be a effective player for the Giants if Sterling Shepard wasn't there. Like That just creates opportunities for him. Now, maybe he'll split some time with Richie James, who's actually played reasonably well for what you consider for Richie James. They're the slot guys, but I think Wandale Robinson could have a big, big role, especially with Sterling Shepard out, Kenny Gotti just being completely ineffective. But the Giants are crossing their fingers now for Wandale Robinson to get back soon. Not sure if this week against the Bears is the week, but he has a chance. Also, Kadarius Toney, they're crossing their fingers. First round pick. They're crossing their fingers. The $72 million man, Kenny Galladay, they can get something out of him. Caught a pass, was called back for pass interference, which I, by the way, thought was a legit penalty. Sterling Shepard called for the pick. Left his feet. It was called a pick, you know, pass interference. If you're leaving your feet to, like, sort of block and get in the way of the guy in the middle of the field, you kind of know what you're doing there. So, to me, that was a legit penalty, although, they, God, there was a lot of missed penalties early both ways. I mean, Darnay Holmes absolutely Tackled the guy. That was one of the most egregious non-calls I've seen in a long time. He tackled the receiver in the end zone, and they didn't call it. But there was some both ways, so there's give and take. You know, you, you win some, you, you lose some in that regards. But the Giants' weapons, man, wow. Remember, they don't have much at tight end. Daniel Bellinger's doing okay for a fourth-round rookie, but he's not a ser- anyone that's scaring the opposition, to be real. Not at all. Kenny Galladay, they're getting nothing from zero catches and a drop, a key drop, by the way. Could have given an opportunity on a third and long to go for it on fourth down. No, instead they had a punt because they're stuck in fourth and long. Game, game was over after that. Now, 
if you go want to go, the reality check is still Saquon Barkley looks great, right? That touchdown run in the second half. The reality check on Saquon Barkley is he's back. The reality check on Daniel Jones is he's not a bad quarterback. He played really, really well. And here's the thing I'm on Daniel Jones, okay? Here's where I stand on Daniel Jones. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's not a super high-end starting quarterback. And we're never going to get an honest evaluation of Daniel Jones, right? We kind of know what he is, but what can he actually be with a good supporting cast, right? An offensive line that could pass protect. Uh, a number one receiver. He does not have those things right now. He does not. The Giants really haven't had a number one receiver since Odell Beckham. And then I'll get to that real quick. The, the idea that the Giants should go out and sign Odell Beckham. Get that out of your head. They're not going and adding Odell Beckham Jr. First of all, he got injured. Think about it. In February, in the Super Bowl. So let's say nine months. You're looking at mid-November. For Odell Beckham coming back. So likelihood is he's probably not really going to play until December. And on top of that, Joe Shane, who I give credit for this. I know you could look at it and say, oh, how come he's not adding this guy or that guy? Like they're sticking to their guns here. They're taking their medicine this year, which is the right move and not signing anybody for more than the veteran minimum. Right. And this is a salary cap reasons because they don't have a lot of money. They have to get through this season. They don't want to rework contracts. This is the right move. Now, you can't sign a guy like Odell Beckham for the veteran minimum and then write in incentives. That takes away the whole, the whole point of it. The whole point of it is if you get sign a guy to the veteran minimum, veteran minimum, it depends on how many years he's been in the league. Let's say it's $1.3 million they get. The Giants then, if you sign him to this veteran minimum, it's VSB or whatever it's called, if they sign him to this veteran minimum, they're then allowed to only have him count $800,000 against the salary cap. I'm estimating the numbers. Right now, part of this is in order to get that benefit, you cannot add in incentives. So they can't just sign Cole Beasley, who people wanted, who's on the Bucks roster now. Right. The thing with Cole Beasley was the Giants wanted Cole Beasley, but they didn't want to give him anything more than the minimum. And he's like, why do I want to go to the Giants for the minimum? And there, you know, is this a particularly good team? Like, where, where do I stand now? Go now go to the Bucks for the minimum. That's a little different. Right. You're talking about a Super Bowl contender, play with Tom Brady. The opportunity is much different. So the Giants are not going to sign Odell Beckham. They're not going to pay more than the minimum for pretty much anybody at this point. This is what you have. So cross your fingers. Hope they can get something out of Kenny Galladay. Don't like the chances right now. But more likely, pray that if you're the Giants, that Kadarius Toney, who we've seen can be super dangerous, gets healthy. Kadarius gets super healthy and can produce. And then Wandell Robinson comes back and can produce. Because right now, those weapons outside of Saquon are scary. Now, Daniel Jones, like I said, we're not going to get that honest evaluation. But he played really, really well. 20-37, 196 yards. Added you know, 79 yards on the ground. Running the ball really well. Everything the Giants were able to do. And their offense was able to move the ball. Scattered, but moved the ball most of the game. Was because of Daniel Jones. Because he was able to make plays with his feet. Now there's downsides. Dan Orlovsky pointed it out last week on TV, NFL Live. And this is my one of my biggest complaints with Daniel Jones. Is most of the time when he gets moving, it's to run. So when he starts to move, his eyes go down. And he's not seeing downfield once he starts to move. The best quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion, they all do a lot of their damage on the run. And it's because once they start to move, once they start to scramble, navigate the pocket, that's when you're buying time for guys to get open downfield. If you can then hit those passes downfield, that's where you can do the biggest damage. But still, Daniel Jones is a starting quarterback in this league. That's the reality check. We saw that the other night. We're just, he's just not going to end up being the Giants quarterback. They don't, they're not going to have enough around him for him to look good enough for them to want to invest in him long term. Do I think it's the wrong move? Probably not. But how is Daniel Jones going to shine with an offensive line that has trouble pass protecting and no weapons? How? How is that going to work out? Just don't see it working out that way. So those are the reality checks we got here with the New York Giants. Still winnable games up ahead. Could be a fun season. Monday night wasn't great. Wasn't great. Because really, that was their opportunity, right? They win that game. And look, not an easy game. Like I said, to me, it was a crapshoot. We found out Dallas is actually, even without Dak, still a little more talented overall. Right? Because they, Michael Parsons 
and Demarcus Lawrence. They just could not block. Could not block. And that's a really good Dallas defense, and I think people are underrating them. I think we're going to see that as we move forward here this season. That that Dallas Cowboys, if they stay healthy there, have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Really do. That's one of the best defenses in the NFL. Giants will see them again Thanksgiving in Dallas. See what both teams look look like by that time. And the Giants defense, they held up the first two weeks. Wink Martindale, you know, dialed up the perfect defenses. It's not going to be possible to do that every week. People on the other side get paid. Coaches on the other side get paid to combat what he's doing. They still have a quality running game. Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, it's a pretty good one-two punch, the Dallas Cowboys. With the offensive line, can like the Giants, run box better than a pass box. Cooper Rush played all right. CeeDee Lamb, while he dropped the ball at one of the easiest passes you could see, you could find, you know, made some plays. They get Michael Gallup and Dak Prescott back. Dalton Schultz, their tight end. That could be a pretty good team. See them again on Thanksgiving. And with that, let's get to our guest. On to the next one. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's talk to former NFL offensive lineman, Giants offensive lineman, uh, current I'll, I'll say football analyst because he does college and pro Jeff Schwartz. Uh, he'll, he'll help us sort of digest what happened last night. Uh, I'm taping this on Tuesday afternoon. A wet, yeah, Tuesday afternoon. The Monday night throws your way off. I'm sure you know this as a player, Jeff. But uh, yeah, we'll digest what happened on Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys. So welcome, Jeff. Appreciate you coming by again. Yeah, glad to be here. And you're right about the minor football, man. Like it's it's like not fun for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it just, just kind of like ruins the week. As a player, what, what did you hate about it, or what did you like about it? How about one? I, I thought it was always. That? I thought it was always cool to play primetime games. You know, like you typically play better teams, um, and it's a game where friends and family can watch, and they're big moments, right? Um, but then the worst part is if you're the road team. I mean, the Cowboys didn't get back last night to probably three, four in the morning. Um, I mean, even just a Sunday night game was, can be that way. Uh, if, I don't know if you remember my first year, well, my second year there, we were in Dallas in 2015. We had that flight delayed on the way home. We didn't get back till like 7 a.m. on Monday morning. It just It's a right. lot, but look, I get it. It's for the fans and the players, I think, enjoy playing on primetime. Everything else has to do with it is not as much fun because they're going to still be pretty sore and beat up come Wednesday and typically you feel a little bit better on Wednesday. Well, you know, who's sore and beat up today. I'm sure Daniel Jones, man, Daniel Jones, between running and getting pressured and taking hits. That was a rough one for the giants offensive line. Uh, One of the guys who had a rough outing. I know, you know, him very well. You've got to spend some time with him. And I saw you commenting during the game on what his sort of his problems were. I'm talking about Evan Neal, rookie seventh overall pick out of Alabama. So, Obviously, Demarcus Lawrence, you know, taught him a couple lessons there, right? Demarcus Lawrence is a proven, a uh, high, uh, high caliber Pro Bowl player in this league. What was going on there with Evan Neal? Yeah. What gave him so much trouble there? Well, he kept, he kept hitting with the same move. It was the, that cross chop, the cross and, chop. Yeah, and what what Evan was doing is, and 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 to be fair, Demarcus Lawrence did it to the right guard uh, later in the game. 
Uh, he beat the left guard, uh, not with a cross chop, but with a little bit of like a chop and a swim. Um, you know, what Neil was doing was, and this is the the impressive part about this rush, if you could maybe visualize it for a second, when the when the when the rush is coming at you, if you're the lineman, you're trying to time up your punch, right? And he does it in a way where he he kind of eats up space by taking smaller steps. And so it makes you feel like in reality, he's, he's getting much closer to you than he is. And so you go to punch and you're leaning just enough to when he hits that move, when he hits that arm down and brings his leg through, you're going to fall on your face, right? Like you're leaning too much right. and you can't recover. Um, you know, ideally with a player like Lawrence, you just don't punch. Like you wait for him to do something. And this is what, if you look at a lot of the best offensive linemen, a lot of them just kind of wait to punch to the very end because they know these defensive linemen like to work off your hands. That's a good lesson for Evan Neal. And I look, I like the idea of his strike. I, it was a good idea. I mean, it was independent hand usage, all that. But against a rusher like that, you're just giving him, you know, the the basically the mechanism to work off of. Right. And so this sounds like it almost it's not like a, a physical problem, that it was a more like strategic problem. It was. I mean, physically, he was again he was when he punched a little bit early he was leaning that's i mean that's so that is a right issue. so it ends become a ends up becoming a physical yes. problem but because he was losing the tactical game basically yes i yeah i think with lawrence you have to be one of those guys that just kind of doesn't give him much and to work off of and kind of hope he he bull rushes you or kind of stutters himself to death trying to figure out what to do and so it's pretty you know it's it's a, it's a he's a young player He's in his third game against a really good defensive player. And then obviously Parsons as well. So um, it happens. It's not great, obviously. And he knows that, uh, but there are things he can definitely fix. It's not something where I don't think it's fixable. Right. It is. Um, is that rare to face a guy like that? Like, because usually you want, I mean, and I know this is sort of Bobby Johnson's thing as uh, an offensive line coach. He said this several times already. He wants his offensive lineman to be aggressive. So is it rare to face a guy like Demarcus Lawrence where, like you said, he almost – you don't want him to to be the aggressor yeah. and punch there. You want to uh, – that's what Demarcus Lawrence was, you know, sort of exploiting. So is it well, rare to face a guy like that? Or is, is this – is that kind of like a normal – just depending on the matchup, that, that that could be like, you know, every other week kind of deal? It depends on the guy. And, and I'm for aggressive play up front. I, I'm, I'd rather have that than have passive play. But you also have to be able to tailor your game at times to the guy you're playing against, right? And and I think that that's something young players have trouble with, right? Is figuring out how to kind of make the adjustment that needs to be done each week because what you do best might not work. And that's just kind of the process of growing up as an offensive lineman. And I, I look, again, I love the physics. I would always favor being more aggressive than not. But in this instance, um, this might not have been the best way to approach uh, Demarcus Lawrence. I remember, so I when I came to the uh, offensive line masterminds that one year, and you guys yeah. were going over pass rushers. I, I'm trying, I'm drawing a blank, but there was a there was a one of the edge rushers that you guys were talking about that he was known for the the cross chop. Um, forget who what who it was. Um, a couple guys who was. It? Well, Aaron Donald does it all the time. Um, okay, so maybe it was who, Aaron Donald, or who maybe it was a... of who it was on the edge because Von Miller doesn't really do it very much. Okay, well, I remember I that. Think, I don't think JJ. I don't think TJ Watt does it often. Um, I'm trying to think who who would it was be, it JJ Watt? No, I don't think he does it often as well. Um, who? I, I mean, Chuck's. If you go to Chuck Smith's Twitter, I'm sure he has all the guys that work on the cross shop. Um, it's, uh, again, it's, it's tough to defend if you're going to just put your arm out there for him to use again, the, if you watch, if you, you know, you're, you're practice enough, you know, this, but if, if anyone's watching, you know, practice film of defensive linemen working, what are they always working on? Right. They're always working hands. off of an arm, right. They're always yeah. working off hands, of, hands, hands. Of, of something to work off of. And, and I get it, man. Like I was a player that liked to get my hands on guys early and, and, and the rep, but uh -huh. some guys you just can't do that to, and you have to trust your footwork's in a good place and your strength is a good place where you can kind of maybe catch a guy and not punch as much to avoid them getting your hands. I I always think that my the best thing my brother always did, and you know, Mitch was was one of the better right right tackles for, for five years in a row. Oh, pro. Is that 
he gave the defender nothing to do. Like when you watch him set, there was nothing that, that he didn't give anyone. He same set every single play almost. Of course, he mixes up every now and then, but he just never gave he never gave the defender anything to do. Like mm-hmm. he never stuck his hands out there. Really, he never overset, underset, and got in defense alignment. They, they have to work off us. And I think that this is a part that's changing about the offensive line play. It used to be where you would just go out there two end punch guys and deliver haymakers. And that's not really the way the position is played anymore. It is more of a tactical decision to, hey, we're going to wait to punch on someone. We're going to wait to see what they do. We're not going to give them the opportunity to work off of us. And that's something Evan will learn as he gets more uh, more reps in the NFL. The interior of the Giants offensive line may actually be more troubling than uh, Evan Neal on the outside. I mean, Evan Neal's a rookie. It's kind of, you know, if you're, I always say, if you're an average right tackle as a rookie, that's a really good rookie year, right? Like, if he played at an average oh, yeah. level, like, it's just a really hard position to be successful at early in the NFL. Uh, so, but the interior, they have some veterans in there, and it's it's been a rough go. What have you noticed, and what's your concern level with the offensive line as a whole? Yeah, the inside guys really had trouble, and I thought the Cowboys did a really good job, and they've done this all season long, of pairing up Lawrence and, and Parsons in, in good, favorable matchups, sometimes together on one side of the field, but we saw often in this game kind of one-on-one with the guards. And if you think it's hard to tackle, imagine you know doing it at guard when you don't really have this, you know, have it see, you know, you don't see cross chops very often and players like like Parsons that are that are rushing you, attacking your edge. And they just they didn't play well. Um and you know, they're players that are not high draft picks for the most part, right? I mean, Ben Bresden was a what a uh, he was a what sixth was he? rounder, I think. Four, I mean, he was a fourth round pick oh, for the Ravens. Fourth out of Michigan, know, right, right, right. He got traded. Really, he know. got traded for like a sixth rounder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and then uh, and then uh, uh, Gowinski, Gowinski right and there. Feliciano. Yeah, well, Felici- yeah. yeah. Gowinski was a fifth, fourth round draft pick as well. Yeah, day um, three pick for sure. Yeah, I just like you know they're just they're just okay and and they got exposed because fourth round. I don't we remember we're shorting them around there. Yeah, Gowinski fourth um, round. I you know they 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 just got again the Cowboys did a good job of of putting them in tough spots, having to block Lawrence and Parsons, and you know Daniel Jones is kind of taking a beating because of because of of all this. And you know when you have one guy out, we've, we've seen the Cowboys do this with with Teron Smith out is. They have Tyler Smith, a left tackle, the rookie, and they're doing a really good job of giving him help. Tight ends, running backs, right. just make, making sure things are, are well. And when you have one guy that's that's like that, you can do that. But when you have a couple of guys, and last night it was obviously they they tried to help Evan Neal more as the game went along, then that's less help inside, right? Less mm-hmm. help than someone else. And that's what makes it really difficult when you have a bunch of offensive linemen that, that need someone to help them. And that's what it looked like last night. Glowinski kind of got embarrassed on one play by Michael Parsons. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So that, that wait, 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 here's my theory. Tell me before you explain. So they're, they're chipping. uh, It was Michael Parsons on the, on the edge. He's lined up against Neil, right? So he's the the tight ends helping on the end. Glowinski, tell me if I'm right. Wasn't expecting uh, Michael Parsons to get inside on that play. And he kind of just, well, uh, I they, it less to do with the chip and more just yeah. So they're running. It looks like they're running a, a an ET game, right? An end tackle game. End goes right. first, tackle goes second, and he just didn't see him. Um, and I'm not sure that the 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 pushing of in the back wasn't helpful. You know, you never want to push defenders towards offensive linemen like that. Right. Um, but Evan Neal has to, and this is the thing when you work together. Is offensive linemen, you have to help each other out in some of these situations where if I'm able to get my hands on Parsons, even if it's not great, and I can deflect some of that energy away from his straight line toward the right guard. Right. So Neil's supposed right to get a piece of killed. him. And like and the Neil's supposed to get a piece of him there. Yeah, you're supposed to. And the guard just didn't see him and just got because his guy was now his guy was right in front of him. Now, yeah, there are times the more you play, the more you realize, okay, if that if the my guy doesn't rush, I'm gonna take a peek outside. But this was a good job, 
I thought by Parsons and, and by, I don't even know who was inside at that point. Um, and of course, you know, the highlight is him getting run over the right guard and it wasn't really his fault. He didn't see Parsons. Um, so I feel bad that he got put on blast for that. Yeah. I, that's what I, that's what I kind of thought that the Neil should have, you know, was supposed to get a piece from there, but that's why Michael Parsons is that good. Right. Cause he comes off the line that quickly. And with that kind of power, next thing, you know, Mark Lewinsky is basically three, you know, three feet in the air and, you know, ends up, ends up as a meme. So tough one. Par- uh, Parsons is oh, he is good, man. Like there's just there's so much to defend with him, and it's really hard for your alignment to figure out what what's gonna happen each play. Yeah. Well, that was the problem, is you have to help and you have to have all eyes on Parsons, right? And then when you do that, you're like, okay, so now when Neil, you gotta go one on one against Demarcus Lawrence, who also by himself is a really good player in his league for a very long time. And oh, yeah. it creates a lot of problems for opposing teams. And that's my question to you. Are we going to look back on this, you know, later this year and be like, well, that was the Cowboys defense. Like that, that that's a great defense and a great pass for us. Like that's, that's kind of what they did to everybody. I think we will. Um, I don't see why it would slow down because they have two guys that can do this, right? If it was one guy, then you can make the case that it can slow down as teams figure out, how to handle that guy, but it's two guys. And they even have other guys, I think, that are playing well because they're getting the opportunity to have one-on-one uh, uh, um, uh, pass protection against them, right? So to me, it's very sustainable. Now, the, the we've seen this year, too, they haven't forced as many turnovers as they did last season because that's not sustainable, you know, each even each week. Right, that but I think the pass rush... turns to the mean, like the yeah, turnovers. But, the, yeah, the but you can still is, be a good defense. That, that's a different... That's yeah, sustainable. I, I think the pass rush is very sustainable. I would not be surprised if this is their thing all year. Uh, real quick on the Cowboys, because you look at the Cowboys, their offensive line was having a little trouble early, kind of, you know, penalties and miscues were kind of biting them in the butt, gave the Giants an opportunity to really hang in the game for a while and then eventually took the lead. Are you confident the Cowboys can get that offensive line together to the point that this can be a high-end team and that this is a team that can potentially win the division? Um, Well, they have a Hall of Famer right guard. Um, yeah. You know, Terrence Steele's playing. When you say um like that, it's usually that's when you hesitate like that, it's usually you're not a big believer, by the way. Well, I'm because I'm, I'm, the left side <laughs> still worries me. So, <laughs> so the, the right guard's a Hall of Famer. The center is, you know, average. The right tackle, I think, Steele's better than we give him credit for, really good as a run blocker. And then it's the left side, right? So you have Tyler Smith, again, a rookie, a left tackle who is getting better, but still it's a couple penalties, right? They help him out a little bit there. On that big Zeke run, though, holy yeah. cow, he was smashing people. I think he oh, crushed two yeah. guys, and one of them was like 30 yards downfield. And and I don't and I don't quite buy the Jason Peters like long-term solution at left guard. Uh-huh. Um so there's a couple issues there, but I think when they get dacked back and get kind of dacked back in the flow of things this offensive line won't hold them back as much as many people thought it would. Right. The Giants still, by the way, sit at two and one. After all that, they were in that game, right? They get the ball at the end with a chance to tie the game with a little less than two minutes left. Ultimately, David Sills falls. Shep tears his uh, ACL on the same play. Yeah. Total disaster interception for the Giants. Talk about a disaster of a play in retrospect. But they're still two and one. Surprised at all by that? I was hoping they would win last night because I really wanted to bet their team total under like nine and a half. Would it would have been nine and a half if they had <laughs> won this game? Um, I well, did bet there's a good chance they win this week. You know that. I know. I, I mean, know, the I... Bears in MetLife Stadium. Like, there's few games the Giants are clear favorites. That's one of them. Yeah, but they don't. They don't play well in MetLife. The Giants don't. Well, I'm just saying they're going to be favored though. Sure, they're. I mean, they're, I'll look it up in a second, but I'm, I'm sure they're favored by. What do you think the spread is? Let's guess it. It's three and a half. I looked it up. I, um, I would have guessed three. So I would have guessed three. Um, I was going to say five. I was going to guess five. Oh, I would said. I would have said three. I mean, the Bears are two and one too, right? They are two and one. They yeah. are two and one. They've completed too many passes. They've completed this season. Ooh, I saw their. I was looking up who has the worst wide receivers in the league. And it was staggering. The Bears were like the least productive wide receivers by like a significantly wide margin. So I'm going to say like 22. 
23, yeah. Wow, pretty close, huh? So in I kind of cheated because I saw in their receivers, games. their receivers had like I something like 14 catches in three games, which is yeah, just it's wild, dude. Laughable. Um, so the 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 Giants should win. Um, you know, the Bears don't have the pass rush, I think, quite that 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 the Cowboys do. I just I'll just say this with the Giants, man. Like it is really nice to see just better coaching. Like they're just better coached. Yeah, they um, are. And see, the way they dial up and call plays, there's, there seems to be a rhyme or reason to it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like you can you can see that it, everything is done with a purpose, and you're like, okay, I get it. That play makes sense. Yeah, it looks like a, a you know they don't have you know bad in game decision making processes in my opinion. Um, you know the uh, the coaching staff seems to really be involved in, in game planning and how things are executed and. I think Brian Dable's doing a good job so far. And you kind of knew that the talent deficiency would show at some point. Like, I mean, their offensive line, not good in pass protection. Their pass catchers are troubling. I mean, their tight ends and, you know, the cornerbacks, their inside linebackers. I mean, you just can't play with that many deficiencies and not show eventually when you play, you know, quality competition. So, uh, I mean, kind of did show I mean, last did, night. Did, didn't, Joe, didn't Joe Shane say, like, a week before the season started or the week of the season, like, hey, guys – yeah, we're going to be bad this year. Please don't judge us on that right now. He's been saying this since he got hired, basically, that this was – and, you know, they would never use the word rebuilding. But, like, hey, this is a rebuilding. Like, hey, I did what I could this offseason. You know, I mean, we had no money. You know, we had to get rid of good players. Like, you know, what do you want me to do here? Like, he's – he's they spread, said this pretty consistently. Like, yeah. hey, this is the situation we've been given. Uh, you know, we're going to try and compete, but we're doing the best we can here with not a lot of resources. And, you know, but so the fact that they're two and one is a huge win for them. Right? And three, if they could be Agreed. three and one. Yeah, would be he would be huge. So you saw Daniel Jones. Now, I personally thought Daniel Jones, like, that was one of his best games. I thought he played great. Like when you're under that much duress. You know, they were able to move the ball pretty consistently and they were yes. able to make plays. And it was pretty much because of Daniel Jones. Um, where do you sit on the uh, Daniel Jones wagon right now? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> it is. So, a, it's a very complicated one. I get it. There's just like. Oh, the discourse today is is interesting. You know, a lot of people are pointing to the idea that if you give them better wide receivers, a better offensive lineman, he'll turn into Josh Allen, right? Or Well, that's – or, or, so, And I just – My comp is always Ryan Tannehill. I've been saying this to everybody. Yeah. I mean, that's and, and always kind of like my comp on him. And that certainly is possible. You can go to a team next year. I mean, he won't be back on this team. Um, but you go to a team next year and do what Ryan Tannehill did, right? But there's always kind of a ceiling on those guys, and we're seeing it now with Tannehill, right? I mean, he's just – it's done. Like, the, that's it. Like, the Tennessee no, windows – No, I agree. I'm not him. saying it's good enough, but I'm saying yeah, it's your you're, you're okay starter, you're you're middle of yeah, the road start. Yeah, you you're you're good enough to be competitive each week, but also bad enough to cost yourself many games in the end. And, and you need really the right players him. around him. Like he's not just yeah, going to do it. Like, like he's not going to do it with mediocre talent around him. Right, and look, if you put him in Philly with that offensive line, those weapons, and you put him you know, in some Kansas City and with Andy Reid and. What he's got going there, you you put him in a lot, a lot of different places. Is he a better quarterback? Surely he is, but the question always has to be right. The end goal is winning a Super Bowl. Is Daniel Jones a Super Bowl winning caliber quarterback? And the answer right. to that is no. Well, there's a difference. I, I there's a difference between is he a, a quality or you know starting quarterback or is he a high end Super Bowl winning quality quarterback? Right? You know, you it's there, a different. There, like, there's, oh, there's certainly yeah. Like like you know, can you you know can you can you win with Joe like Flacco, Jared Goff, right? Jimmy Garoppolo? Like you, you can win with those guys, but everything game. has to be perfect. Yeah. Yes, and exactly. that, and I just think that sure, that's I, we don't know that's obviously about Daniel Jones, but if everything's perfect around him, would he be much better? Yeah, I think so. Before we go here, you mentioned the Eagles; they've been very impressive, and yeah. they're super talented. You sold on the Eagles as a series, like as they're going to win the NFC Super Bowl contender. Um, see, I'm I mean, again. Um, here, I, I did this. On <laughs> that my means podcast there's hesitation. I, That's what it is. I did, that I means you just you can't just say yes. I did this on my podcast yesterday, and I thought I I did this experiment. Okay, so 
which teams in the NFL right now do you trust to win three playoff games, whether it's three to, to win the, the conference or three to get the Super Bowl, right? D- depending on the buy situation. Okay. And I came down with four that I trust at the moment. And really, only it's like four total AFC. Only, and it's really like, only it's really like three and a half because Buffalo has not done it yet. But it'd be Kansas City, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Buffalo. Okay. Like we, we have, we've seen them do it. Like, why I not trust- the Rams? Uh, if the Rams get into the playoffs in a good spot, <laughs> I, I think, but I just think they're not as good this season. Okay, I agree so, with that. I was just I, that was one of the, I was trying to go in my head. I, I had to put them there because they did it last year. Right, fair enough. Okay, so four, five teams. Okay, I and the, and I guess in a in a sense, and the Bengals I think are were a little bit fake last year, but I I don't trust them this year. So no, never mind. So five. So, yeah. um, could the Eagles certainly be the sixth team? Absolutely, right. I mean, they are playing some good football right now. They are built in the offensive-defensive lines. Jalen Hurts is doing uh, a lot better this season. Obviously, the, the additions at wide receiver, whether A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, have been very impactful for them. But they haven't scored a second-half point in two weeks. <laughs> like, there are some deficiencies, right? I mean, I get they've been up big in these games, but that doesn't mean you stop playing in the second half. Um, the Lions were down 21 points in the fourth quarter and came all the way back and were driving to win that game. Um, so, they're you know, they're, they're not perfect. Um, they're a very good football team. Um, they're they deserve to be where they're at. I'm not taking anything away from them, but am I like, oh my god, they're going to win the Super Bowl? I, I think it's too early for that. Think about this Tom Brady right now has three offensive linemen out and all his wide receivers and his tight end retired. Like, let's just kind of like <laughs> wait a few days and weeks to see them get healthy and before we write off Tampa Bay already, right? Like, well, I'm on. not writing off Tampa Bay. I the way I see it is there's four teams in the NFC that have a chance, and that's it, you know, and it's and I Basically, think the Eagles are one of the you, you four, right? Green Bay and Tampa, they, you think they can win those two games? I agree. And then the Rams and the Eagles, and I, no I one else, has, no could. one else even has an outside shot in the NFC. I think Philly certainly could. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't, but again, like I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of a conservative, like with some of my football opinions when it comes to winning and losing, like who I, who I trust in the situation. And like, we haven't seen Jalen Hurts do this in the playoffs yet. No, I agree. But and, and what I think they that, do have is a very favorable schedule. The entire NFC oh, East does, oh, which puts sure. you in a good spot to a, get a buy. Oh yeah. But then you're already in a better spot and you're playing at home. So th- things are set up for them to have yes, a chance to agree, have a chance to do it. I agree. There, I have questions about Jalen Hurts. And, and I think, and I think the questions have, have, you know, and it's always it's and again. This is the thing about we talked about earlier with quarterbacks, right? Like, what sets them apart? It's a third down, third and seven, right? It's like these, right. you know the red zone things like this that um, happen against much better football teams. I think this weekend against Jacksonville, great. Jacksonville's doing some really good stuff, man. Like they're not a fluke; they're a legit good football team. Yeah. Um, and I'm very, you know, that game. I think when we looked at the schedule, no one thought Jacksonville at Philly Week Four would be, you know, would be like the number one TV game at 1 p.m. But to me, it's gonna be my big TV. Wow, wow, Jacksonville. How about that? Shows you the fraud. Imagine that Urban, what good coaching shows you the fraud through, right? that Urban like, Meyer was. Yeah, like I mean, being a good on. coach, it's kind of helpful. Disaster. Yeah. What a disaster. Well, that's Jeff Schwartz breaking it down for us as always, killing it. Appreciate it, Jeff. What do you what do you got going on? What do we got? What do you Everything. what do we what do we need to look out for? What are you working on at the moment? Who knows? Everything. Go to my Twitter at Jeff Schwartz, Jeff with a G, uh, Fox Sports, my podcast, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. Um, got a bunch of stuff on there. So uh check me out. Will do. Appreciate it. All right, take care, bud. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. All right, we're going to finish here with a quick Jordan on the beat. This is where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, or cover the NFL in general. What I'm going to get to here is that Sterling Shepard situation. Because I'm going to tell you, the, take it to the human side of this, right? You get to know these guys, you spend time around them, you get a feel for them. And Sterling Shepard is the longest tenure giant right now. And to watch the way that unfolded and have his knee just explode, that was hard to watch. To see him down on the ground and you knew right away because, God, I mean, he was basically walking. Sterling Shepard was basically walking. It was like a, a speed walk at the end of a route. He wasn't. You know, didn't stop sharply, didn't cut, wasn't trying to explode, nothing. And this is a guy who had, look, you have to be fair at what his career is. He's a solid player who hasn't been able to stay healthy. I mean, you name it, concussions, ankle, uh, shoulder, hamstrings, calf, Achilles, knee, you name it. I mean, five of the last six years, he's missed at least four games. So he's missed a chunk of time. Just came back from a serious injury, right? Achilles is no joke. And to see him go down that way again, when he knows he's playing for his contract, he's playing for probably the contract he was going to get with the next team. Now he's screwed in that regard. You know, he's probably done as a giant. Who knows? Maybe they take a shot on him, but he's not going to get paid now in the offseason. It's just a tough injury to watch for a guy who's been good to the he's been good to me he's good to the media he's been good to the media in general you know you go in there Sterling Shepard's one of the guys you could pretty much always get by his locker he'll sit there and he'll talk to you and he's a guy who's well liked by his teammates very well liked by his teammates super close with Saquon and you saw after the game Saquon was like still hadn't showered had the eye black on in his Giants-issued shorts about an hour after the game because he was spending time with, with Shep in the training room. So you see what kind of respect. I mean, Daniel Jones, super close. I mean, I'd say Shepard's maybe his two closest friends on the team are Saquon and Daniel Jones. So that locker room certainly respects Sterling Shepard. And to see him go down like that, that's hard to stomach. It's hard to watch. You feel you from a, a human perspective. That was... the. I only equate that to one other time. So, and I didn't even know this guy that well. Marlon Jackson. He was out of the University of Michigan, okay? So, he was on the Colts, I believe. Got drafted by the Colts. Pretty high. He was a defensive back. I can't remember. Safety or cornerback. Not important. And this guy, like, tore his knee three times, okay? And he, he came back. And you're like, wow, what a comeback story. This guy has worked so hard. Keeps tearing his knee, or I believe, I believe it was his knee, over and over and over again. Three times. And so I'm covering the Eagles at the time. This guy is back. They just sign him. They take, the, they take a crap shoot on him. All right. You know, he's looking good in the spring. And he, guess what happens in the spring? He goes down again in the spring. I believe it was like the fourth time the dude tore his knee. And I didn't even know him at that time. But God, you, you, just, you feel for a guy that you know worked that hard to get back. And that's the situation with Sterling Shepard. He had just worked so hard to get back from an Achilles injury. And I actually talked to him. And one of the things was I said was, you know, how smoothly did it go? Was it was the whole thing smooth, the rehab? And he was like, no. <laughs> like, there's struggles. Like, it's hard. There are bad days when you're rehabbing and trying to get back. And these guys, remember, this is their job. So they're working every day to get back from these serious injuries. So that's eight months. It took him eight months to get back, which is pretty impressive in the first place. Little... But so he was injured in December and he was back by, yeah, uh, August. It was cleared. So eight months. And you're working every day to get back. And then to have it just end like that. Boom. On a dime. Why? Because you're jogging? While he's jogging. Didn't take this monster hit. Didn't try and cut and his knee gave out. No, he was jogging. And you could see by the look on his face how demoralizing it was. And by talking to his teammates in the locker room, you could see how demoralizing it was. And from a human perspective, even as a reporter, you feel that too. It's just depressing. Like, I, I feel for Sterling Shepard right now. I feel for him. This isn't his own doing. I know a lot of people out there, can't stay healthy. He's a bum. 
you know, he's going to get hurt again. And look, he did get hurt again. But it's not like he wants to get hurt again. It's not like he's doing stuff to get himself hurt. The dude is trying so hard to get on the field, to play, to stay healthy. I don't think there's a player on the New York Giants or a player that I've been around recently that enjoys playing football and that likes playing football more than Sterling Shepard. I mean, you could tell the guy loves playing football. He loves the competitive part of being on the field playing football. Remember, his purpose is his, his dad, right? His dad was a football player. Passed away when he was a kid. You know, Sterling Shepard wanted to be like his dad. His dad was a receiver. Like, he wants to play football. And there's nothing he can do. His body is just failing him. And it did again on Sunday. And it was hard to stomach. On the last offensive play of the game for the Giants, jogging down the right sideline. Think about that for a second. So let's hope Sterling Shepard recovers, can come back and play and finish out his career the the way that uh, he deserves for it to finish out. We're going to wrap up this episode on that. I know I said I was going to do a Giants after dark last week. I'm sorry. I mean, on Monday, it just didn't work out. I, I totally... Uh, slipped, forgot. It was a Jewish holiday. Uh, had to go, you know, take the kids, go to temple, do the family thing. So the logistics just didn't work out. Now we're on a short week. Post Monday night is always crazy. You basically lost a day in your week now. So I promise I'll get to it soon. I'll try, you know what? I'll try and do something either on uh, Instagram or Twitter. See see what the people want more, what's easier to do. But I'll try and do something this week. So that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You can find me Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, email. You know how to find me. And like, subscribe, tell your friends. Breaking Big Blue. It's the best, giant, most informed Giants podcast out there. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.